best course of action. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Prefer Not To, sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. With your hosts, Kate Matthews and Joshua Lucas. As will become apparent if you've listened to the backmasked recordings embedded within several Led Zeppelin songs, I am not Kate. And if you tuned into uh, the recent expose into uh, Al Capone's second secret vault, I'm not Josh. Every week, Kate and I sample a cocktail, talk a little bit about its history and what we think of it. Then we narrate our latest adventure in the land of movies that might otherwise have been forgotten. Anything by time. By time, humans, I, monkeys. Yeah. Hey, remember when we did Draco versus the Super Monkeys? Yes. Back when we were doing good monk movies? Yeah. Uh, anything from forgotten number one movies to horrible 1970s disaster flicks. Right now, we are taking a tour of the ranks of unfortunate and or ill-advised sequels. So, Kate, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? We got a guest today. Wait, what? What the what? Yeah, we watched uh, we watched our movie with our buddy Amanda, so we figured we'd have her along and have a cocktail with us and talk about the movie. Hey, Amanda. Hi, Kate. Hi, Josh. So, guys, what cocktail are we drinking, and what ill-advised sequel did we watch? Uh, we're having Aviations this week, and we watched the very, well, somewhat ill-advised sequel of uh, 2010, colon, The Year We Make Contact. You said 2010. Okay. That's like a thing now. People say 2014 and 2015. I'm never going to do that. Was it, what was it, 2000? 2000. I would do 2000. Oh, 2010, colon. I mean, Amanda, what do you do? You're 2010. a 2010. You're a 20? I'm a 20. <sighs> it's too many... Yeah, but Words. you don't say 2001, A Space Odyssey. That's I true. guess that's true. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't. Hoist. So, Kate, what's in a aviation? And who's in a 2010, colon, the year we make contact? A lot of people are in that movie. So, um, in an aviation, it's uh, two ounces of gin, uh, maraschino liqueur or cherry liqueur, lemon juice, creme de violette, what the crap is that? And a garnish of a maraschino cherry. Did you make that up? No, didn't make I that didn't up. make that up. Yeah, okay. Uh, and who's in a 2010? Ooh, let's see here. Everybody. Uh, let's see, we got uh, Bob Balladan. You really you go straight for Bob Balladan. That's like your first choice. Because he's, he, he's a mate. Okay, fine. Um, America yeah. loves its Balladan. Everybody Schneider. Uh, Schneider. Schneider. <laughs> it's the sh sound that you have a problem with. Because it's it Maximilian, because you, you kept calling him Maximilian von Schnell. And it, instead of Maximilian Schell. It's, you can't just say sh. Sh. And yet you're not walking around the house calling bullshit on things. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Roy. Sh. Schneider. No. <laughs> He's not the maintenance man on uh, one light on uh, one day at a time. Okay, well, Scheider. Yeah. Okay, so Roy Scheider, mm -hmm. the guy from Jaws. <laughs> Steve <laughs> Jaws, Roy Jaws, <laughs> Bob Bob Balladan, um, Ban. And are we going to get any names right? <laughs> no, Helen Mirren. There you go. You'll get There's that one. one right, right. And um, John Lithgow. Mm -hmm. And that one. Does Russian he say character. Lithgow or Lithgow? I don't think. I don't know. Um, and then a couple of character actors that you would recognize from a lot of things. Um, like that guy with that face and that chick with that face. Yeah. And, the, and that black guy. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Zoe Deschanel's mom. Right, in one weird scene where she apparently is the... We'll get to that. So I would like to go on with that, but as you know, we have to do the standard disclaimers. Standard disclaimer number one, neither Kate nor I is a cocktail expert or a movie expert. Kate only recently learned that Courvoisier is not one of the three musketeers. 
And uh, Josh is not a movie expert, despite the fact he might think he is after discovering the uh, $5 movie bin at our local Walmart. Did I tell you about the time that I found, like, uh, all of the great German expressionist movies of the 20s in this 7-Eleven cutout bin? No. Yeah, it was like Metropolis and Nosferatu and all this shit on DVD in a 7-Eleven, which is kind of fitting. Like the cabinet of... uh, Dr. Caligari? Yeah, yeah, that was in there, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good good 7-Eleven. I didn't buy anything because God only knows what's in the jerky. You didn't buy those movies? No. Why not? Because they're public domain. Oh, okay. And I'm cheap. Yeah. <laughs> what year was this? I'm just curious. This was last year. Oh. This was down in Florida. I mean, it was Florida. Oh, you were in Florida. Yeah. That explains, explains it. everything. Yeah. 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 Have I told you what the state animal of Florida is? Um, it's a guy in on, a tank on. top wearing flip-flops on a bicycle riding to a drive through liquor store. Because <laughs> I was going to go with an alligator. Have that, you ever, like, that's, seriously, that's, that's being everywhere. attacked by mosquitoes. They're, it's like an invasive species in Florida. Those guys are on every street, like on a bicycle, riding a bicycle on the sidewalk <laughs> to the liquor store in the flip-flops. So I was thinking it would be like an alligator riding um, on top of like um, one of those, like the boats that are like. On top of some hanging chad. Yeah. And uh, there are mos- he's being besieged by mosquitoes, but going, it's Florida. Wah, wah. Yeah. A second disclaimer, alcoholism and addiction are serious disorders, not unlike hypertension or type 2 diabetes, because I like saying it like like Wilford Brimley. Type 2 diabetes? If you had either of those, you'd be under the care of a professional, and likewise, you can't meet a drinking problem by yourself, seek medical care if you've got a drinking problem, or if your friends think you have a drinking problem, even though you don't. So, Kate, yep. the aviation. Yep. Tell us well, about it. Well, I'm just curious. Why did you choose those two? I don't know. Because I was feeling gross and fat. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what about, you want to know what's in aviation? What the story I want aviation? you to do the, the information that you've prepared for our lovely listeners. Okay. So I said this earlier, but the aviation is two ounces of gin. It is 75. Well, no. Okay. 75 start. shots in this? No. So it's two ounces of gin. It's three-fourths of an ounce of maraschino liqueur or cherry liqueur. I'm still not sure about what's going on there because I bought... Well, this is, we're going to get to this. Um, half a shot of lemon juice and a quarter of a shot of uh, creme de valette, and it's garnished with a maraschino cherry. Can you tell me a little about creme de valette? Yeah, I can. Um, just So creme de valette is this very expensive liqueur, um, very rare. It is made from <laughs> violets. And why is it rare? Is there like a mine only in this is the one weird part thing. of so, Andorra? Yeah, so here's the weird thing is there's only a few companies that make it. And one of them, actually, it was not available in the U.S. until about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so about probably from the end of cocktail era, like heightened in the 30s, is not available. Um, and it is used because it gives the drink a very blue-like hue, which uh, okay. reflects the sky. I would not call this drink blue. See, here's the problem. <laughs> one, no creme de valette. Two... Oh, we didn't actually buy creme de valette. No, because I can't find it anywhere. Oh, okay. I even went to the white people ABC and they didn't have it. The one over in uh, Chapel Hill? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big... Have you been to the... Amanda, have you been to the White People ABC? What road is it on? It's the one in um, Kroger Plaza. or The where? Whole Foods. Stand of the Whole Foods. Oh, I have. It is a White People ABC. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I don't go out there much because that whole parking lot mm-hmm. is still like 
a vortex. Yeah. <laughs> Insanity. Like, yeah. Like crazy. people just back out. They don't, they're cooling. Like well, they but, don't because look. they've got the PTA thrift shop in dump dump off there. Yeah. Where you got so, everybody like bat like who doesn't even know how to drive the like the rider van that they got, but they're schlepping crap out there. And they also put the handicap spots between like the walk, the dr- main drive through mm-hmm. and other parking spots. Oh yeah, you're so right. So they those they just back right out. Oh, they right, don't... and the, the ABC store actually has a drive around the back. Even the the white people ABC yeah. store. Yeah, there's Does a it? there's a there's a uh, and she's right. There's parking lots. Well, you know that's um, this is gripping uh, for people who don't live in in Chapel Hill, by the way. There, there was a movie theater there 20 years ago, and they blew it up, and they never built anything. There's that lot that's, like, chain-link chain link fenced wait, off. Wait, they blew, that, they blew okay, it up? I did not like, They that. literally... It yeah, was... they demolished it. Yeah? Yeah. And it was a movie theater, and the guy who owns it just... It was like, it's a separate parcel from the rest of the shopping center, and they've never built anything there. God, that sounds like a horror movie, well, doesn't it? <laughs> when they've never they gone killed the there movie. Again. They say it's haunted by the ghost There's of a, a movie theater. There's a quiz yeah. around the other way that it's just kind of like an afterthought. Let's put a quiz nose. <laughs> well, here. and then there's that part in um, over next to the Whole Foods where there's like a hallway into the mall, and there's like stores inside. I don't go in there. I'm a little afraid. Of well, there's a I, there's a place to shoe repair place, which again, any place where there is a shoe repair place is creepy. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, no, you're right. It's like it's like um. I used to, I did an urban geography class in college, and one of the things that I learned going to a lot of these uh, sort of burnt out cities in the Midwest is when your downtown is nothing but wig shops and pr- uh, professional offices, it's over. <laughs> it's over. When it's like uh, chiropractors and wig shops, you're fucked. Chiropractors, Jesus. Cool. It kind of tells you who's moving into your area. Right. It well. tells you how cheap the commercial real estate is. <laughs> Uh, when yeah, when the uh, fly by night wig shop is uh, is doing it. Okay, so tell us more about the aviation. So the creme, creme de violette is a uh, key ingredient in this um, particular cocktail. Um, the cocktail was invented as much as cocktails are, and um, I put it back, and there's a cherry in there. You didn't tell me there was a cherry. Yes, I did. Did you not hear me say that there was she a plopped cherry? something in mine? I hope it was a cherry. Oh I don't God. know. <laughs> It was an it afterthought, went, cherry. It went all the way back to the back of my mouth and then back into the glass. I'm sorry. I thought that you knew. <laughs> the lovely maneuver I thought I said, I said, and you, I, I did say earlier Believe that you garnish it with a It's a rare skill chair. set that I unfortunately haven't been able to monetize because I don't work in Las Vegas. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, Josh. So the aviation was invented as much as cocktails can be in New York by Hugo Enslin, who was the head bartender at the Hotel Wallach. Um, I was doing some research on the Hotel Wallach, and I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist anymore, but I did find some vintage ads advertising it for, uh, you can stay there for a dollar in 1917. If you want a bath, it's going to be $2. Huh. Um, so he was the bartender at this place. How would they know? They have to turn on the water, I guess. I guess they'd put you in a room where you had a bath or you didn't. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, he wrote uh, he wrote a book called uh, Recipes for Mixed Drinks in 1916. It was one of the first big like cocktail altogether books in the mm-hmm. sense that it's also one of the first last ones written um, before Prohibition. So it has a very um. unique flavor of like things that were going on in the cocktail world before people started making bathtub gin to get drunk on a Saturday. And you know, because right. we've talked about how Prohibition is its own kind of like special special resourcefulness for cocktails. So um, this is a cocktail that actually kind of fell out of favor for a while. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason is that creme de valette is a key ingredient. Like I said, mm-hmm. it gives it a blue hue, which some suggest it's called an aviation because it's supposed to mimic the sky. 
looks like the sky. When the sky turns the color of the drink that I just had, <laughs> yes. there better be, you know, horsemen and brimstone and uh, the end of all things. So uh, here's the thing about... A, a topless woman riding a, a, a nameless beast, breathing fire. Breathing fire. So another reason um, the Savoy cocktail book, you mm-hmm. know, the one that we have on our bookshelf over there, mm-hmm. um, when that was published, uh, they um, in the aviation recipe that they put in there... It, Creme de Villette was just not included. Uh, so it's just... What does Embry say? Um, I don't know. We should look that up. I don't know. I'll look it up. Craddock in the Savoy cocktail book just wants gin, lemon juice, and cherry liqueur. I think the problem that we're having with this particular incarnation of this mm-hmm. beverage is that I bought cherry liqueur. And I'm thinking it's supposed to be colorless cherry liqueur? I'm not... I suppose. Uh, there are colorless. I mean, it's clear. I mean, it's not like they have actual bits of cherry in there. No, well, except for the one you just swallowed. Right. Yeah. yeah there's actual so, bits of cherry right in here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's supposed to be, and ours looks like kind of a brown, like blood orange kind of it color. Look, no, it looks like a sea breeze is what it looks like Does without it? ice. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I can put a picture. I want to do share notes. I'll put a picture of what it's okay. supposed to look like. Um, creme de Valette is really hard to get in the United States. Like I said, it mm-hmm. hasn't been available in the United States until 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, when a company in France started baking it and importing it. Is it, it. Valette or Villette? Creme de Valette, like violet. It is made out of violets. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and even, um, there's only like one brand that's really sold in huh. in the United States. It's, um, it's a very, like, sweet, like almost mm-hmm. licorice kind of flavor to it. Um, there are other liqueurs that you can use in the aviation that make, gives it the color that it mm-hmm. needs. Um, but they don't really, they have a different, like, vanilla or kind of taste to it. And this is supposed to be, it's very... So what family of drinks is this in? Family of drinks? Um, it's kind of like a gin sour, honestly. But it's not, it's not like in one of the, you know... The, it's a the, sour. It's a sour, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what it reminds me most of is our Jack Roses, and I like Jack Roses. Really? Mm-hmm. Why would you say that? The cherry reminds me of the pomegranate from the grenadine and then the lemon juice. Uh, it's less apple but it's got the same tartness. I guess gin is pretty tart, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, it reminds me a lot of those, actually. Um, and a little a little bit of the Cosmo, but sweeter. I don't know. What do you think, uh, Amanda? Yeah, Amanda. It's very good. Very tasty. I like <laughs> the Jack Roses as well. That's true. But... This is good. However, I'm a delicate flower, and this is very strong. It's very good, but... It, you've had plenty. Yeah. 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 So uh, creme de violette is a... Uh, it's it, it, it's uh, a violet. Like I said, it's distilled from violets with, like, a brandy base. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's earliest has been... It's been around since the 1800s, but it kind of fell out of favor after Prohibition. So it's really hard to find. And I, I wanted to find this cocktail. Like, I, I mean, this this liqueur. I cannot tell you. Mm-hmm. I went to a couple different ABC stores in our town, and none of them had it. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go to the white people at the ABC store, and they didn't have it either. So... Yeah. Um, Do they sell uh, liquor? They don't sell liquor at anywhere but the ABC store, because this no. is North Carolina. <laughs> Fuck that noise. Yeah, so right. the, the, the brand that of Creme de Violette that's available in the United States is actually made from Queen Charlotte and March Violet flowers from so the it's Alps. Pre, pre-prohibition cocktail that fell into fell out of favor after prohibition. Well, for a couple of reasons. One, because Creme de Violette apparently is like this mysterious liquor that doesn't actually exist. Mm-hmm. And two, mysterious um, liquor. I don't know where I was going with that. And two, the most com- the the next big cocktail like Bible that was ever published kept it out of it 
um, Henry Cronick. Well, not the aviation, uh, the but he, he. So is it in? We haven't checked Embry, so we haven't seen if that's in there. Well, it's it's in the cocktail. So it's in the Savoy cocktail book, but there's no creme de velette in huh. it. So, okay. um, I'm not really sure what type of cherry liqueur we were supposed to be using because this one is very red. I think it's, uh, you know, like all those recipes for sidecars or anything else that involve Courvoisier that you can just substitute crappy orange liqueur for. Yeah, but I actually spent money on this cherry liqueur. Because I thought, oh, well, it has to be cherry liqueur. I know. Plus, we had a guest. Yeah, I know. And, uh, yeah, so that's 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 the story of the aviation, I guess. Yeah. Um, I did want to say that the rarity of creme de valette in terms of it being available was actually a plot point in an episode of The Avengers back in the 60s. We're talking about John Steed and, and Mrs. Peele. Mm-hmm. Which I just thought was cool, because it's like, oh. It's so been... there's, like, a nefarious bad guy that they have to catch who has the... It's, it's the center of a, a plot. It's the center of the plot of that episode. Huh. It just seems kind of weird. So um, I do want to say. she was the sexiest thing ever. Who? Diana Rigg on that show. Oh, yeah. Oh, jumpsuits. There is a bar, actually, in Chapel Hill um, mm-hmm. that is renowned for its aviations. Yep. That is where I first encountered the beverage huh. and why I was kind of thinking about it. Um, however, it looks nothing like this, and I apologize to everybody for my poor bartending skills. They have no idea. They will. Well, now. They will know. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, that's that's the aviation. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Can we get on to our movie? Yeah. Anything else go down this week you want to share with folks? Mm-hmm. No. Okie doke. So the movie that we watched was, depending on who you are, 2010 or 2010, colon. It's another colon movie, Kate. I know, another one. It's another of the uh, the ever growing like, option like colon option. It's like we're drawn to colons. That may very well be the, like, I don't know, water or E. coli. Yes, like E. coli, we are drawn to colons. Can we just um, can we just look at the bottle that Creme de Valette comes in? Look at that shit. How classy does that look? Oh, you got to put that in the show notes. That look is some classy shit. Look at that. That looks like. Let me tell you, that would be something that would be a MacGuffin in a heist movie. Like, we've got to find the rare 1858 creme de valette. <laughs> and inside, actually, all there are, are uh, it, it's like a, a, a spy notes yeah. to, to the and Nazis. Or a radioactive isotope like in Notorious. <laughs> there is like a creme de, it's called a creme de, like, Yvette, I guess. You've seen Notorious, right? Yeah. Okay. Creme de Yvette, which is also very popular, but it tastes completely different from creme de Yvette. Like, the point is, I went out of my way to ask the lady at the liquor store if they had it, and she goes, no. We don't have it. Like, like, like that's something that a lot asked. of people come through and ask. Like, she knew immediately what it was. She was like, no, we don't. We don't have it. And I was like, okay. Okay. So 2000 or 2010, colon the year we make contact, is the sequel to the, one of my two or three favorite movies of all time, 2001, colon, A Space Odyssey. What are the other two? You said two of or three. my favorite movies? Yeah. I like uh, Local Hero, as you know, mm-hmm. is uh, on my top list of movies. And I don't know. The other one probably is like, a, probably Nashville. Oh. Not RoboCop? Where did you get that RoboCop was in my top three movies? I don't know. Probably you, Nashville. You really liked it, yeah. I do, but not like I like Nashville. Amanda, you gotta feel free to speak out your guest on the show. <laughs> She's just sitting here looking very We petrified. give so many windows for people to talk, also. Uh, so, uh, you may recall 2001, A Space Odyssey, ended with a uh, somewhat mysterious sequence of uh, flashing lights and... Uh, babies. Uh, babies. Space babies. Space babies and old men eating peas. Mm-hmm. Uh... This movie, for some reason, endeavors Got to... Got made. 
<laughs> endeavors to tell us uh, what became of the crew of Discovery. Uh, Kier Delay. Well, you know, Gary Lockwood got shot off into space, so yeah. we don't even care about him. Uh, although I think his corpse ends up in uh, one of the later Arthur C. Clarke sequels that you were mentioning. Oh, uh, 2061 or yeah. 3001. Amanda, you were researching this, right? I was researching the, this. Tell us about, about the sequels. I just know they exist. I didn't click the links because I didn't <laughs> want to know, but... I, I know, and that's kind of how I feel about this movie in its entirety, is I didn't want to know these things. Yeah. You know? Talking about a lot of the Dune sequels, too. Like, I remember one time I read, I read Frank Herbert's Dune, and I was like, cool, there's like a whole... There's a whole universe out there. And I Googled the rest of them mm-hmm. and read, like, plot to sc- like summaries. And I was just like, shit, I didn't I don't it gets, need this. It I gets big. Have you read the Dune books? I did not like it. I I read probably most of it. And mm-hmm. then I didn't even care to read the end of it. Well, they're not necessarily character-driven. No, they are not. Yeah. I, I like Dune a lot. But, but this uh, is one of those, like, sci-fi things that you get a brief taste of. Well, not, think, not just Dune, but 2000. I think you have here, um, I think, honestly, what you have is the movie of 2001 such a singular achievement, mm-hmm. uh, irrespective of the book, which, by the way, was, was written at the same time as the movie. It's not like the book existed before the movie; that they, they were. It was some sort of collaborative process. Uh, and I, I think, know that. yeah, I think the movie is just such a singular document that, um, you know, it the, the even the notion of a sequel is sort of like we thought it was goofy. Right, because it's yeah. something that exists as it exists as an argument, as a as a literary argument on its own. Don't you think? I do, and I don't think that if the film had been had not been that spectacular, mm-hmm. I think that everyone would have liked the sequels. The book sequels would have been very think, popular right. because you're not like detracting away from the book so much. Right. That movie. I mean, I read the book like just last year Mm -mm. for the first time Mm -hmm. and it's serviceable sci-fi it's great but the movie is it's of its own yeah you don't even need to and i think that's i think it's hard to on the one hand you look at this movie and we'll get into the story in a bit but you look at this movie and it's a serviceable uh sci-fi hard sci-fi movie and i like hard sci-fi so that's the kind of thing that i like none of that fantasy shit hard sci-fi you know what i mean (laughs) uh yeah none of that you know we can make food out of nothing shit I'm looking at you, Star Trek. Uh, you do not want to start this, Lucas. Right. Lucas. But on the other hand, if this were not... I will stop this podcast right now. On the other hand, if this were not related to 2001, the story is not necessarily interesting enough, I think, to carry a movie. Just as some sort of space rescue movie. Oh, Which no. is essentially what it is. Yeah. So we start the movie. Roy Scheider is playing uh, the character played by... I don't even remember the guy's name. But Dr. Floyd, who we accompany for the first 30 minutes of 2001, if you don't count the monkey parts... Uh, and who would? Because they're awesome. I just, he's um, wearing some some very short shorts. The shorts, a lot of short shorts. He, this man wears the shorts in every single scene except when he's out in space. But he's always wearing a jacket. It's yeah. like they don't care about his <laughs> arms. That's, that's it's all a Roy about the legs. thing. Like in Jaws, in Jaws, he's wearing yeah. short shorts and jogging all the time. Yeah, like that's Roy Scheider in the seventies and eighties is just really tiny shorts and jogging. So Roy Scheider, uh, there's apparently. Uh, which I think is probably going to be news to our listeners, but in the year 2010, Soviet Russia and the United <laughs> States are still locked in a cold war. This bugged me so much. <laughs> that it was an alternate future history that never happened. Have you seen Planet of the, have you seen, uh, the fourth Planet of the Apes movie that not. takes place in, like, 1991? The one with Wahlberg? Or? Oh, no, 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 no. This is the fourth. The original one. Oh. This is the uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. It takes place How in... How do you tie every fucking movie back to Planet of the <laughs> it's Apes? It's easy. 
Uh, Anyways, it takes place in 1991, and watching it now, it's kind of like, really? Well, it's just like the Jetsons. It's like, where's my flying car? Well, but it's not only... I think it's the reverse of that, because the Jetsons at least reflects a sort of... And I guess this also reflects its age. The Jetsons, with its flying cars, is a reflection of the era in which it's built, the early 1960s, an age of technological optimism. This projection of the year 2010 is also clearly from the 80s. So of the early to mid 1980s, with its fear of uh, nuclear war, uh, you know, to look back on a movie like this and think that fear of nuclear war could be a driving issue for a sequel to one of the greatest movies of all time it seems like weird and laughable to us now, as much as say Superman for the quest for peace. Yeah. Right. Uh, but that's the the motivate the driving force, which is. Uh, Russia and, excuse me, the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. and the United States uh, each send teams into outer space to research what happened to Discovery, the big penis ship from 2001. <laughs> uh, and to find its captain, Dave Bowman. Mm-hmm. All right. So they go into space. Captain, oh, and uh, Dr. Chandra, who you may remember being mentioned in a brief monologue in 2001, the creator of HAL is in this movie played by Bob Balaban. Bob Baladan. Right. Von Schnell. <laughs> and uh, is... Some magnificent uh, facial hair. Uh, it actually is. Balaban has consistently had a good red beard. He's, uh, you know, he's one of my people. Yeah. Uh, they send him up there also to investigate what happened to Hal, the onboard computer. But that's like a secret. Like, it's it's like something that he's... Right. And he has... He's keeping to himself. He has his own Hal. He has right. a Sal. He has Sal, Sal voiced by Candace Bergen. Yes. yes. Uh, I don't... A lady Hal. Lady Hal. Right. A Sal. <laughs> um, so they get up into space, and they do a lot of space rescue stuff. And this is where it becomes just sort of a straight-up hard sci-fi movie of how do we maneuver a ship, how do we rescue things. They have this sort of uh, bunny slope thing where they... Get outside of the ship. Um, John Lithgow has a panic attack. Yeah, John he's, Lithgow he's has difficulty in in space. Um, and let's see. Carry on with me. Carry on telling us a story. Uh, we, I mean... I think Amanda was the most sober person while we were watching well, this movie. So the thing about this movie... Well, I mean, I, I was going to save this for later, but I guess... Um, it was just really boring. <laughs> like, I I wanted to like it, but like nothing about it really evoked the same kind of sense of the f- the first one. Right. Well, the first yeah. I think the problem is that you have, and Amanda, chime in on this is you have this sort of split personality where, on the one hand, you have like I said a really sort of you know decent hard sci-fi movie, but on the other hand, you have a movie that is trying to wrestle with the legacy of the philosophical aspects of the first movie. Of, you know, the nature of humanity, of, you know, what makes us different from animals, about, you know, what drives our our desire to explore and discover. Um, and it's trying to wrestle with that. At the same time, you have a sort of pedestrian, hard sci-fi movie. And I think there's a little bit of a clash of that, especially when you sort of come to the third act. And it's the plot revelations come sort of thick, fast and thick, where Bob Balaban discovers that Hal was being ordered to hide the nature of the mission from the crew, which is, again, something we already knew if we've seen the first movie, so there's not... It's, it's, it's anticlimactic. Right, it's, it's like, a pet peeve for me, and I, that, like, anytime I am well ahead of the characters in a movie, right. you're just so restless, right. you know? You feel like either they're dumb or you're just, yeah. Or you're well, hoping that there's going to be a reveal in a way that's at least going to be exciting. Or, or different from different, what you believe. Or there's gonna, it's going to lead to something 
right different but it just wasn't they found out and they're like oh we're pissed yeah, yeah. and then also the disembodied intelligence of dave bowman is somehow sending messages back to earth and, and yeah. showing up in their yeah. computer the scene with his mother was just too much for me or his what oh his mom his too mom. right yeah. yeah first of all he shows up on his wife played by mary joe deschanel mm-hmm. and saying you know something crazy great is gonna Who come has since been with she's now married to Roy, right? She's married to... No, she's not married to anybody. She's she not? just they, She just shows up in the middle of the movie, like, she's eating bread, eating she, eggs. She's she in her, like, no, super she's not Roy future house. house. No. Oh, yeah. oh, shit, okay. No, she's, she's just not... in her future house eating breakfast. And he shows up, shows up her, on through her, her TV, TV right. instead of Good Morning America. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, and then and then his mom is dying, and he shows up at her deathbed. And combs her hair. Yeah, with, <laughs> with like a space comb, and it space looks like comb. it's like a Casper. It's like a Casperly friendly ghost hovering. <laughs> and she brush. knows it's him, and right. she hugs the comb and dies. It's just—it's <laughs> weird. It's yeah. It's There's fake. a lot about this movie that didn't actually read as a sequel to me until like about halfway through, where they start finding monoliths all over the place. Right. Oh, that's it. Yeah. The, there's the, and the, the. It turns out that the great red spot on Jupiter is just nothing but monoliths. Right. So to me, it just kind of felt like okay, all right, this is a sci-fi movie. All right, so it, it's kind of going, I guess. Okay, all right, wait, what? So what? then at the what? end, then they have the to have end. Hal sacrifice his life to uh, let everyone go because they do some sort of Star Trek-style slingshot as Jupiter is imploding and turning into a new star, which I also didn't understand how that worked. It um, doesn't. That's that's not what. But that's not how there's a new star in the sky, and then Space Dave Bowman sends a message to Earth like, "You can conquer all the worlds in the universe except for the Moon Europa." Huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. I'm hoping. I'm guessing the other sequels. It's that, the jumping off point. Trying to yeah. set the seeds for this was going to be a franchise. Yes. Really, I didn't get that. Oh I, yeah. Didn't? You didn't think that ending where there was an ending where there was like a monolith in a swamp on some planet we'd never seen. Right. Well, at this point, I think when we were watching it, I was kind of well into my cups. So yeah. I was... I <laughs> Eleven was, sheets to the wind. So I was kind of just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, it ends on a really crappy cliffhanger where there's a planet where there's a monolith somewhere yeah. else and don't go to Europa. Uh, you know, at a certain point. And this movie, I cannot stress this enough, was really boring. Yeah, I think that is probably its biggest flaw is that I think it knew it had a difficult task in front of it. Also, this this was made like twenty years later, like and fifteen so, years. And so, like in a desire not to offend, you know, it just comes off as kind of dull. Well, it's so much dialogue. Like so, I mean, the first movie had almost no, almost dialogue. no dialogue. I mean, there's yeah, there's something like thirty pages of dialogue in yeah, the entire movie. This movie, movie right. they talked the entire time, and you didn't care what they were saying. And, and it was yeah. just, it, it was just like and it was all like this in, in Russia. We right. do this. A <laughs> yeah, there's lot all of this. That. There's all this round table with the astronauts where they're supposedly hate each other, and you're like, but you guys just look like the crew from Alien. Yeah, <laughs> and that's another thing for me. This movie, I just kept when I was watching it. I think we talked about this while we were watching it. I was just like. Wow, this is set from Alien. Oh, wow! I don't think that's fair to knock on it, just because that's sort of Alien is is the touchstone for so much hard sci-fi. I know, I know, I understand that, but it was still it's like faulting Firefly for looking like Alien, or well, (laughs) I mean, they all look like Alien because that's the look. I'm just going to point out that Joss Whedon has written like five different versions of Firefly, and right. Anyway, you mean you're meaning you mean Alien Four, Titan A, Firefly. What else? Probably something else. Something else is going to happen. But yeah, this movie was really... I was I was ready to like it when it started, but 
about halfway through, I just kind of lost it, and I never really got back into it. Like, it was kind of, it was, I mean, it was, it was boring, right? Like. And not even in a fun, boring way. Yeah. Which I guess they're. Like, and Helen Mirren is wonderful, and she was great, but I'm watching it, and I'm, I think it takes a lot for a movie when I'm watching it, and I'm not driven by the fact that Helen Mirren is a performing in it like if i think that it's boring and she's in it and all these other great actors are in it like it could have used more just like something crazy like if it had gone in a completely different route done you know what you could do here's the the template for following an undeniable masterpiece is jim cameron doing aliens after alien Mm -hmm. just doing a completely different movie that doesn't even you know that barely sort of or John or John Carpenter doing Halloween three, which people hated, but which I think was a good idea. Yeah, um, is just sort of taking instead. I think, and that's what I was trying to get to, Amanda. You were you were nodding. Was it seems like it's just so eager to not offend or not step on the original movie that it doesn't do anything worth remembering on its own. I mean, aside I mean, from you, you, aside, I mean, aside from the shorts, Amanda Divers. It, well, I mean it. It's just a totally different movie, like you said, and there's lots, there's tons of dialogue. There's this whole weird political conflict, like the whole which like, did not some, age well. No, and no. the whole like conversation at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, and with there's, like some space ghost Shider and and that Russian and the guy. Russian, guy, yeah. and it's just like they're talking and they're like, okay, we realize that we're still in the Cold War. There's right. still this political, you know unsettling thing mm-hmm. going on in the country and he tells them okay that's we're gonna set this up and then i don't really feel like there's anything yeah i think passing back on, they keep like, making reference to back on earth like tensions are heightening and right. there's the world's gonna blow up yeah. and you guys are the only thing for humanity or you know but it's you know and i don't know if this is a function of budget or a function of, but we never see anything back on earth they don't we never yeah, feel they never grounded go back there back on earth. and so you don't care about the, those people back yes, on right. earth. the most we get is uh that scene at the uh at you know, where they first meet. And then there's also the scene in uh, Roy Scheider's mm-hmm. apartment with, like, the, the dolphins. That was a good scene. Things I liked about the movie. And then there's Pet nothing. Dolphins. And, then, and then it's just, like, space all the time. And it's like there's no real grounding in the humanity of it. Like, yeah. why do I care? You know, like, whatever. I mean, I think a much more interesting movie would have taken place entirely on Earth just or about I, trying to figure out what you were going to do. And yes. at least then you would have high stakes. Yeah. You know, but that's, a, you know, again, that's say, a completely different movie that has nothing say, to do with space. It might be really great if it was entirely on Earth or entirely in space. Mm-hmm. Like, but there's no groundwork laid whatsoever for us to care about what's going on in the Right, where maybe it's like a mystery what's going back on Earth. And, you know, we lose contact for periods of time and we don't know whether we're supposed to be receiving orders to kill the people who are on the ship with us or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. That might have been interesting. And At least that would have been like a thriller. Again, that would be doing something different. The most, Yeah, the most thrilling part of this movie for me was when John Lithgow is having like a space panic attack. But it clearly didn't matter because he made it out. Or I got really excited when the Russian guy took off his helmet inside mm-hmm. the ship and thought he smelled dead. Oh, yeah, and he was Bowman. freaking out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was also good. Because that was, yeah. And again, that's another thing that I liked was it's tried to have a sense of hard sci-fi of, you know, being in space and exploring. And I I liked that. The effects were pretty good. I think they held up well for pre-CGI effects. Um, Oh, God, yeah. No, it was great. Like, I really enjoyed the movie in terms of its technical aspects. Like, I thought it was really, I, I haven't seen a movie like that, honestly. We got to see uh, some other Peter Himes movies. You can see uh, Capricorn 1, 
which is a fun movie. And you guys see Outland, which is uh, High Noon in Space with Sean Connery. Okay, so that's right Beat up my that. alley. All right, it's so right up my alley. So if this movie were a cocktail, mm-hmm. Kate, mm-hmm. what cocktail would it be? So I'm going to go with a gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. Why is that? That has been left out. I've done this one before. The flat oh. gin and tonic. You perhaps? Yes. Really? It's left out overnight and you come back the next day and it's flat. <sighs> All right, give me a second. I'll come up with something else. You go. <laughs> so I was going to say, this is like a vodka martini in that it's not necessarily bad or offensive, but it has no reason to exist when the gin martini is so much better. That's really good, actually. That's nice. It's like I put some thought into it. I did put thought into it. I did. <laughs> this always happens. God damn it. The fuck? The fuck is wrong with you? So, Kate, if the aviation were a movie, what would it be? <sighs> and you feel free to pitch in on, on Amanda uh, to fill in. So if the aviation were a movie, Kate. So my expectations with this cocktail, I have to mm-hmm. say, I thought about this before we made the show. Mm-hmm. My expectations with how this cocktail was going to turn out, I thought that it would be kind of like a um, a 1930s style romp. Mm-hmm. Like very like carefree, um, you know, kind of story. Like something, you know, very like Claudette Colbert. Um, mm-hmm. you know. It happened one night. Yeah, kind of. Um, now that I've actually made it and totally fucked it up, mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm kind of on the fence. I, uh... Yeah. Here's what I'm going to go with. And, and this is a, a movie that I like. I think I like the movie better than I liked The Aviator, but uh, House of Games. Because it's a little really? tart. It's tart, but it's short and it hits in it, and it's uh, tasty. I like House of Games and I like The Aviator. Well, I wish that we could have it with its proper... You're a bad pony and I'm not going to bet on you. What does it eat women who stoop to pee? No, that's from Speed the Plow. But I know, I know. But what is the line? Because I was thinking about it. Women, like, squat to pee. You squat to pee. Okay. Yeah. All right, Amanda, any thoughts about the aviator? <laughs> any favorite mammoth lines you want to quote? What did you think of the aviator? Yeah, you said it hit it. you hard. Yeah, it's strong, but all cocktails are strong to me because I never drink them. That is true. Very true. So anything with liqueur and liquor in it is just going to... Yeah. Take you where you need to be. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, going to do a little housekeeping. Remind folks that they can visit us on the web at preferrnottoo.com. Mm-hmm. And follow us on Twitter at, at PNTCast. On Facebook, we are preferrnottoo. Tumblr, we are pntcast.tumblr.com. We're on iTunes and Stitcher, and we really would love for you to write a little review. You have no idea how happy it makes me when I see that number go up. And so we much. Little review. So please do that. If you have not written us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. All right, Kate. Anything mm-hmm. else you want to share with folks I before? I thought we are going to do our Would You Rathers. We're not... That's, I'm gonna, that's how we're going to close the show with okay, our Would You Rathers. And Amanda has to get in on this one, too. Yeah. All right. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first because yours is going to be so much better than mine. Yeah, I'm, I'm really good at Would You Rathers. It always is. <laughs> All right. So, Josh, Amanda. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> would you rather have to go... Everywhere, out of your house for the rest of your life in a suit of armor, like full armor, mm-hmm. or go out of your house whenever you needed it on the back of rhinoceros. Oh, rhinoceros. Go. Rhinoceros. 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 Armor. I couldn't stand up if I had yeah, a suit of armor. Yeah, would be all hot sweaty, but I, okay. if I was on a rhinoceros, like, I'd like, have a rhinoceros. It's like 40 right, pounds, are, right? That's, that's like, Rhino's all upside. Yeah. Okay, all right. So, all right, that's fine. What if the uh, rhinoceros was covered in, like, you know, dung? Because that's how it keeps cool. Rhino dung? Yeah. Dried rhino dung? Yeah. 
Oh, it's still fine. You can kick still. that off. It yeah. scrapes right it's off. It's just dust. Still. Okay. All right. Um, what if the rhinoceros got cranky about every two hours and you had to find something? They are deadly animals. You need to find some, like, So grass. is the rhino my friend? It's kind of like in a kind of like, uh, you know, indentured servitude to you. So, so it, apparently, it by the way, you. according to the uh, cast list, Dave Bowman's widow's name was Betty Fernandez. I don't think Mary Jo Deschanel looks like a Fernandez. Oh, maybe her new husband because she got married to someone new. Right. They she was married to someone else, movie. right? Yeah. All right. So um, the, the rhino is my friend? So, no, the rhino is kind of like an indentured servant. Well, and if, it if there's a danger you. of death, then obviously I'm going to wear the suit of armor. Yeah. Yeah, but otherwise, rhino all the way. Okay, and it's with, rhinos all the way down. With the rhino, you have to feed it um, some some grass from from the savanna in Africa every two hours, or the else velt. it goes fucking berserk. So I have to go live in the savanna. I mean, That's you might you need to. You can buy it on Amazon. I bet. Yeah, I bet you could too. Or you know, if they poach animals over there, poaching grass would be nothing. All right. Yeah. All, right. all right. So here you go. Here's my would you rather. Okay. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Would you rather mm-hmm. go the rest of your life? Oh God. Not smelling anything ever. Okay. Anything good, bad, nothing. You can't smell. Okay. Or you go the rest of your life smelling like the worst baby diaper you've ever smelled. Wait. You smell like that. Okay. But you have ESP. All right. So when you say I'm going through my whole life not smelling anything, do you mean like I don't smell like anything, or no, I can't? You can't I smell. can't smell. Okay. You lose your sense. You are hard of you gone smell blind, as they say in Dewey Cox. Okay. And then <laughs> the alternative is I personally smell mm-hmm. like baby diaper. The worst baby diaper you've ever smelled. <laughs> to everybody else. To everyone else. Can in the I world. smell the baby diaper yes. smell? Yes. Okay. But I have ESP. But you have ESP. Um, I think I'm probably gonna go with I not smelling. Anything. Hard of smelling, Amanda. I'm going to go with that, too. Yeah? Not yeah. smelling. Oh, there was an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants where Patrick got the nose. <laughs> yes. And he could smell for the first time in his uh-huh. life because they, they atta- surgically attached this nose and uh, he could smell somehow because that works. But anyway, he's That's a, science he's a, shit. He's Under a starfish. Right. But, so, that is true. You can cut them and make six more starfish. Yes. And he started smelling good smells. And then he smelled bad smells and he was angry. <laughs> There's an episode of Futurama about that, too. You're not talking about the one where... Okay, as the two of them begin to talk about SpongeBob SquarePants, that's our sign to send the show on its way. You're not talking about the one where he he thinks he's ugly because he's... spending an hour or so with you guys. Yeah, yeah, okay. Kate? What? As always, I've loved spending an hour or so with you listeners. Yeah? Yeah? Cool. You ready to go, Kate? Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening. (laughs) I'm to say bye. Bye. <laughs>